Oh, and you already said in your previous statement, you were with her all day long. So you were in Lexington. He's like, uh, yeah, but uh, you no, know, I, I certainly didn't do this. And then I give him a little more and eventually he comes as clean as he possibly can. It's like, yeah, I was there. I was going to go, um, work on a, a blazer that he had in his driveway and Rachel went in and, uh, she comes running out 15 minutes later. It's like, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. The same story he told yes. or she told rather. Yes. Warning. The podcast you're about to listen to may contain graphic descriptions of violent assaults, murder, and adult language. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Murder Police Podcast, The Murder of Charlie Sowers, Part 2. Read through it a couple of times, and uh, they did great work. You know, sometimes you just – so at that point, it had been 10 years. So I'm going to let's start re-interviewing some of the people that they've interviewed because it's been 10 years, and we believe suspect, new victim and all this stuff, and several friends. So maybe somebody broke up with their girlfriend, and now they're ready to talk, stuff like that. So just really wound up re-interviewing people and one interview with – Tanya Joyner talked to her and she's like, yeah, talk to Tony McQueen. And she said that she was with um, Rachel Martin and Edward Carroll. Those are the suspects. Um, went down to Jigwater Creek and saw them burn some things right after Charlie was killed. And I'm like, well, I've read Dave's memo and he, he interviewed Tony McQueen. She didn't say that. So I tracked down Tony McQueen and she's like, well, you heard it half right. My son did. And he told me that story. And I was like, okay, I'd like to speak to Nicholas, and he had passed away. Her son passed away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as Dave knows, that statement is useless because it's hearsay. Right. So, um, again, there's sometimes bad guys get great breaks, you know, by evidence, you know. People passing away. People passing away. Yeah. We had that happen, I think, three times in this case because it had been 10 years and some of the people were older. Um, had passed away that would have been fantastic witnesses. So I talked to Tony. She leads me to another person, which leads me to another person. Um, and Dave had done good work. He interviewed, um, Edward and Rachel, um, probably within three days of the, the murder and got their baseline statement. And again, family members were a little upset that Dave and Chris didn't push. On the suspects, but they have to understand it's like if you don't have anything, there's only so much you can there's do. There's only so much because you want to be on their good side so you can go back and talk to them. If you piss them off in the first interview, they'll ask for a lawyer and you can't talk to them again. Another myth. Yes. There, there's the mythology that's out there again is that, uh, and we've talked about this on another show we did, is that you can just go pick people up and make them talk to you. Well, yeah. maybe in Russia or China. Yeah. But not in the United States of America. And, and, uh, and, and then so beyond the front, the Constitution, that pesky thing, I'm, not, I'm joking about mm-hmm. that because we all benefit from that, yes. is no, you cannot compel people to go with you and talk. And then second to that is the relationship and rapport. Yeah. Is that you don't burn bridges. Right. Because at that point, again, you hear enough – if enough callers come in from different sources saying the same thing, you're like, okay, we may have something here. Right. Um, so Dave and Chris did the smart thing. They 
knocked on their door, didn't call them down to the police department, went to their house like, hey, we know you knew Charlie or whatever. Do you mind answering some questions for us? Keeping it very non-confrontational. And all they did was attempt to get that base on. It's like, okay, where were you that day? Well, they said that they were stayed in Nicholasville all day long. And then they hung out with some friends and that, and they were very appreciative. Well, thank you so much. You, you know, we'll be in touch. Is it all right if we contact you, if we have some more questions? So like, oh, yeah, sure. No problem. Thinking, whew, we're That's off it. their radar. Yeah. And then at that point, I believe Dave did a search warrant for Rachel Martin's phone. And it, of course, contradicted their story. They were in Lexington and hit off the cell tower closest to Charlie's um, in Lexington. Um, not a real close proximity because the tower can only get you, you know, such a radius, mm -hmm. but they put him in the area or put both of them in the area. And so Dave and Chris felt pretty confident, you know, that it was more than likely them and kept trying to interview people, but they were getting shut down. And again, the family was like, well, you caught them in a lie. You know, they did it. It's like, I get what you're saying, but all that we can prove is their telephone, not even them. We could come back to them and say, well, somebody stole our phone that day. Right. All we can say is Rachel's phone was near a cell tower near Charlie's house. People intimate with the case recognized no Edward and Rachel problem. It's like, well, they did it. And this is another thing. There's such a difference between knowing something and proving it beyond a reasonable doubt. Huge. And you only get one crack at it. So you do have to be cautious. So Dave and Chris did the right thing for the family. They were kind of upset with Dave and Chris. But, I mean, they – well, here's what I did in 2020. This is what Dave and Chris did in 2009. They did a lot more work mm -hmm. than I did. Right. I came in at the last and um, just kind of pushed over a couple of – turned over a couple of rocks that people felt more comfortable talking to me 10 years later than they did – a week after Charlie's death, and then we're living in the same town with the suspects. That's a real thing, too. Absolutely, it's it that is. People don't always materially lie to you on purpose. Sometimes they forget. Sometimes something that just sounds really simple to them, they won't bring up because they're like, what's that? They won't even phase them. Mm -hmm. And then go to that next one is that, you know, they know people. Yeah. And like you said, they live in that town. Yeah. And that'll shut somebody down pretty quick, too. Yeah. So I wound up getting a couple of people to give me a, just a little bit more information than they were able to give Dave and Chris initially. And then I was able to convince um, a couple of witnesses that I won't name um, to wear a wire. So they did that. We got some good admissions, but no real confessions about um, suspect told me he did this. But they did confirm some things about um, Edward and Rachel coming back to a house, borrowing a, a gas can, and they went off. And it's like I'd heard they went to Jigwater Creek. Where's, where do you know where that? Where it's in Nicholasville, uh, Jasmine County, um, on the south end. I don't, it's not too far from here. Yeah, we're gonna have to find Jigwater Creek because uh, I had a case I've one never time. Heard of that. I had a case one time where some guns were thrown in the Kentucky River in Nonsuch, Kentucky. Yeah, Nonsuch, and in did, Woodford in County. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there, that's actually a place called Nonsuch. Mm -hmm. you know, so interesting. Well, I, sorry to jump, but we're gonna find no. Jigwater Creek. Yeah. So, um, with all that, we were really close. Um, I talked to the Commonwealth, which is always a good idea for young detectives out there. Um, cause, yeah, our burden of proof is probable cause, which is roughly 51%. But the common, you hand the Commonwealth a case of 51%, you're more than likely going to lose because yeah. they have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. 
And uh, I had to sit down with the Commonwealth and went over my next options and, again, reviewed all the cell tower information, see if there was anything new we could glean from that. There wasn't. Um, and you hadn't spoken to these two people yet? No. Okay. Yeah, the suspects are the last people you want to confront. Um, tracked down some more people where – uh, this individual had a conversation with a suspect, Edward Carroll. It's like, yeah, I'm going to rob Charlie. You know, I'm going to take his wad of cash. Um, well, that person died, you know, and again, I heard from a third party from somebody that was at the house when this conversation took place, but didn't overhear it. It's like, oh, no, Edward was talking to them. And I think I hear something about a burglary or a robbery, but I can't say specifically. And it's like, thanks for, for all your help. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And again, it's just so frustrating sometimes because it's like, all you need is one true statement. And there was an individual that um, Dave showed a six-pack to. And for everybody out there, that's a, a photo lineup, six pictures, one of them being your suspect. And they identified Rachel Martin as being up at the uh, the bar restaurant a little bit before Charlie left and never came back. Well, that witness died. Mm. So we were hitting Jeez. roadblock after roadblock. And – what really broke it is at this time I had kind of befriended Edward Carroll's mother and talked to her. And I was like, Hey, I just, I just want to give you an opportunity because I, this train's coming down the tracks. I was bluffing <laughs> and I talked to her a couple of times. She's like, no, I remember this, remember this kind of built up a rapport with her. And then the last time I interviewed her, cause she was present, I believe when Dave and Chris interviewed them the first time, um, she was upstairs and, she told me, like, you know, I just remembered that uh, when Edward went in to take a shower after the detectives left, she told me, yeah, I killed Charlie. And I'm like, you just remembered this? <laughs> ten years, more than ten years later, yeah. that kind of utterance? Yeah. yeah. So it's not that I broke a glass on a china cabinet. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I forgot about it. So this mother, so this is the mother of Rachel. The mother of Edward. Of Edward. So how about old was Edward and Rachel in 2009 when this happened? Uh, late 20s, early 30s, I believe. So mom was probably... 60. Yeah. Yeah. So now mom's in her 70s. Yeah. And she just happened to remember that her son did this. I didn't believe her, obviously. Um, I think she knew that I was getting close and she was trying to divert the blame on Rachel and protect her son. We'll be back after a quick break. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories. A paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. That works. Yeah. Good. Good. Um, so with that, I go to the Commonwealth and it's like, I, I think we're at the point. I, I can't imagine me getting any more information. You know, I've talked to everybody I possibly can. And it's like, I'm going to go for Rachel since something has already been said about her being responsible. Were you afraid that mom was going to call Edward and say, this guy just left here? You um, better go hide or you better get it together. Sure. You know, that was a, a possibility, but I had to play my hand. You know, we were at the point of, you know, jumping off the cliff or walking away. There we go. So I tracked down Rachel, um, took another detective with me, Blake um, Woodward, a uh, really, really sharp young officer, very sharp. 
Um, he'll be promoting, so Homicide will lose a, another good one, but mm-hmm. good for him. Um, we tracked her down at her family's farm in Garrett County, and we went up to her on her porch, and you know, it's like, hey, we just need to talk to you again about you know Charlie Sowers, and she gave the verbatim statement that they gave Dave and Chris. And I was like, well, there's a problem with that. Um, and I think I'd prepped it before. It's like, so you had your cell phone with you that day you were making calls. So she couldn't say I, somebody stole my cell phone. Yes. So I was like, well, we did the phone record search on your cell phone and it shows you at, you know, Charlie's house. You know, and that was a bit of a bluff as well. You know, I, it did hit on the closest tower, but I said, you know, at his house. And she's like, well, yeah, I think we went up there because Edward was going to work on Charlie's car. We probably should have told you that, but we thought you'd think we were suspects and we we shouldn't have lied, but we did. Very smart, you know. Sure. Yeah. Um, so then I was like, well, I've had somebody that I interviewed that said you admitted to killing Charlie Sowers on your own. And she's like, well, that's just, you can't do that. I, di- I didn't do that. At that point, I was like, you need to turn around, put your hands behind your back. You're under arrest for the murder of Charlie Sowers. And it's like, this is your opportunity to, to tell the truth. And if anybody else was more culpable than you, then you need to tell that story. And that conversation lasted 15 minutes. She said, okay, okay, I'll tell you this. And would give me increments of the truth. Sure. Until finally, I was like, not good enough. And in all her statements were factual that I could prove because there are such things as false confessions. Right. You know, I'm not, I wouldn't think it's like, yeah, that's when I saw Edward take the shotgun and shoot him in the head. Well, that's not true because of the, the evidence at the scene. Now, were her and Edward dating back they were. then? And are, were they still affiliated 10 no, years later? No, they uh, lasted probably six months to a year. Um, but again, both were afraid to, you know, that the other guy was going to tell. Exactly. <laughs> um, so eventually she wound up telling the story that they did go over there. Uh, the intent was for Edward to steal some money that Charlie had. It's like I waited in the car and all of a sudden Edward comes back out. And he's very flustered. So we got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. And he, he still never told me what he did. And then, you know, the next thing we know, we go to this house and get some gas and we go to Jigwater Creek and I wait in the car and he goes out and. I see smoke coming up from behind the brush and he comes back with no shoes, you know, and I'm like, what, what's the deal? And she, so she finally confronts him. It's like, I didn't kill him. I, I hit him over the head just once, just once. It was an accident. So it's like, okay, all right, that works. Um, whether he said that or not, it, it was inaccurate about the number of times that he struck Mr. Sowers. Um, so with that, she's charged. And I believe we did a complicity to commit murder, okay. which is easier to prove with multiple suspects because that's what typically happens. Two people commit a crime. Eventually, they will point the finger at each other. Mm-hmm. And complicity says you don't exactly have to know who actually killed the person, just that they were working in concert together. And it carries roughly the same penalty. So we charged them with that, got her down to the um, Pulaski County Jail, I think was the closest um, had her housed. We tried to do a phone sting for Rachel to call Edward. Uh, he made some comments and then got panicked and, and hung up the phone because they hadn't talked in, in years, quite probably. some time. Why did she go to Pulaski instead of staying local? Um, they didn't have the uh, – I didn't think they had any beds for her. So we had to find the next closest regional jail. And uh, so that's where we took her. And, again, the phone sting didn't really work out as as we'd hoped. So, again, talk with the Commonwealth. It's like, well, you know, she pointed the finger at him, you know, and like, 
this is, you know, it, it's shaky ground because if he doesn't confess, you know, do we have enough? You know, just because she, she'd already allegedly confessed to Edward's mom and then she's putting it on Edward. I mean, you know. And then those small little lies you talked about. Yeah. That's, that's really big fodder for a defense attorney. It I sure mean, is. I mean, her credibility is is, yeah, what a strange place yeah. to be. Was that was that uh, statement recorded? Or do you remember? Yes. That? He might answer. Is it going? Okay. I hope he does answer. What well, son of a bitch? I had to get it in there first. Dream. this is? I don't know. Dude. It's Rachel. What the fuck? I just got out this morning on house arrest. House arrest? Yeah. Yeah. For your bullshit. You know it's fucked up, man. You know it? This whole situation's fucked. You're like this is where fucked. This is fucked. You got me into all of this shit. I didn't even know him. Why would you do that? I mean, they said they come and talk. He just hung up on me. Well, and he's yeah. probably thinking, I haven't talked to you in all these years. And number one, how odd that you call. Uh-huh. And number two, why are you talking about this again? Yeah. Did he know she was incarcerated no, at that no. time? No, uh, we scripted it out, I believe, to where it's like, hey, the police came talking to me. You know, we better get our story straight again, stuff like that. Um, he started talking a little bit, I believe, and then finally just hung up on her. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I go to the Commonwealth and like, okay, interview him, but. If he doesn't put himself there, then we don't have enough. So I get with uh, – he was living in Nicholasville at the time. I get with the uh, Nicholasville Police Department. Um, it was actually a really good police department. They There are so many detectives there over the years that were so helpful to us. In cases, Autumn Howard was one, um, Detective Love. They – really sharp people in that department it's a good pd it really is and he's back policing again now retired and went right back yeah that's what i hear good for him better man than i (laughs) exactly (laughs) he's a good guy yeah but um so i coordinate with them um they go pick him up bring him to the jail i introduce myself um ask him to it's like, hey, we're here because of this. I need you to go through your story. He's like, I swear what I told them 10 years ago is the truth. And so I start to feed him a little. You know, it's like, well, we know about the cell phone. Um, No, it, I think that was lost or something. I was like, no, nah, I already talked to Rachel. She had it all day and it was her phone. Oh, and you already said in your previous statement you were with her all day long. So you were in Lexington. He's like, uh, yeah, but uh, no, I, I certainly didn't do this. And then I give him a little more, and eventually he comes as clean as he possibly can. He's like, yeah, I was there. I was going to go um, work on a, a blazer that he had in his driveway, and Rachel went in, and uh, she comes running out 15 minutes later. He's like, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. The same story he told, yes. or she told, rather. Yes. 
So, um, and he tells the same story about Jigwater Creek. They uh, go to Jigwater Creek, but he stays in the car and she goes out and burns stuff. Yeah. So that is that honestly, that was the best I was hoping for because he's not just going to come out and say, no, you know, it's been too long. I need to be honest. And it's like I murdered him. Yeah. They just don't do that Um, unless you've got overwhelming evidence that you can confront them with. Um, So talked to uh, Kim Henderson at the Commonwealth. And uh, told her that what he did. And she's like, he, he really said that? Yeah. <laughs> she's like, yeah, I was expecting to get a call and said we're out of luck. But no, so she greenlighted the the arrest. So charged him again with conspiracy to commit murder. Um, got it all wrapped up and was able to make it back to Andrea Williams' retirement party that afternoon. No, there we go. <laughs> yeah. So, so did you ever find the true story out of who did it? No. Um. Again, that's wow. why we charge the complicity. Yes. Because and this was an interesting case. It's when you have two people pointing the finger at each other, it's fantastic for police. It's like, oh, they both admitted being there. One of them did it, the other one watched it. It doesn't matter to me. But again, you try to prosecute this and you might have to separate trials. Um there's brooding issues. Brooding, exactly, which yeah. is a nightmare. Been yeah. done that. You yeah. gotta redact their statements anytime they mention such and such so when the jury hears the audio there's so many holes in it i mean they look at you it's like why didn't you ask this well i did but we can't play it for you guys well and the and the inference will be because you're stupid yes i mean absolutely in today's climate yeah is that well they're they're, that's simple you know so um having had a at least one I've had more, but I had a big one one time where that was the case is that in the hard thing for the jury, too, is that if they're linear thinkers is they've got to know. Yeah. And and and, uh, and, and the, uh, mine was Lynetta White. And mm. and I remember talking to a reporter who covered the trial and I, we were at a gym one day and he said, you know, if it was me, I would have had to known who had the hammer in their hand because it was that. And and uh, Jonathan Goforth had thrown in the nefarious black guy that never was there. He threw another guy in the mm-hmm. mix that never existed. But that's hard for a jury. It and really it's hard is. when you're doing that because when you're testifying, it's. Those are the nuances people will never understand. Probably when you have to redact it and act like that other person doesn't exist. And, yeah, and, uh, and it, you'll look stupid in the. You end. really do. Yeah, it's, it's like you arrested on that statement. And it's like, well, you didn't hear thirty five percent of it. Yeah, you that's know? why you know a lot of people don't like plea bargains, but a lot of times mm-hmm. you take the plea on who you feel is the less culpable, and that's mm-hmm. tricky too. Yep, because we've put people, all of us have put people in prison before that. Uh, Maybe uh, didn't even put the, pull the trigger, but you have to make a decision on Fisher mm-hmm. and bait because the power of that statement, even though they're going to attack it, might get over those humps with you. Yeah, it's yeah. A, what a difficult thing for a jury to put to put together. It really is, and again, those trying those are nightmares. And you know, going into it when you make the arrest, you're just like, oh, I can imagine this thing three years down the road, the the interview being cut to shreds, you know, mm-hmm. being redacted. And what are we going to be left with? And it was, uh, it was looking to be a nightmare, but. Hey, you know, there's more to the story. So go download the next episode, like the true crime fan that you are. The Murder Police Podcast is hosted by Wendy and David Lyons and was created to honor the lives of crime victims, so their names are never forgotten. It is produced, recorded, and edited by David Lyons. The Murder Police Podcast can be found on your favorite Apple or Android podcast platform, as well as at murderpolicepodcast.com, where you will find show notes, 
transcripts, information about our presenters, and a link to the official Murder Police Podcast merch store where you can purchase a huge variety of Murder Police Podcast swag. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, which is closed caption for those that are hearing impaired. Just search for the Murder Police Podcast and you will find us. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe for more and give us five stars and a written review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your podcasts. Make sure you set your player to automatically download new episodes so you get the new ones as soon as they drop. And please tell your friends. Lock it down, Judy.